A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. And good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled you're with us. Haven't been here for a couple of weeks. Uh, IU basketball preempted the Gun Guy Show here two weeks in a row. Uh, it's kind of that time of year. Uh, but hey, for the most part, pretty good games. The Northwestern game last week obviously was a disappointment. But hey, if you watched Indiana take on uh, the Illini today at noon or listened here on WIBC, which I hope you did, uh, a thrilling game. IU trailed after about nine minutes in the first half. IU pretty much trailed the whole rest of the game until last minute or so, and they pulled it out one by three. Exciting game, frustrating game, a lot of turnovers, a lot of missed wide open shots, a lot of defensive mistakes, but you pulled out the victory, and so at the end of the day, uh, it was a fun game to watch. Enjoyed that, uh, being at home uh, with Mrs. Relford, yelling, screaming, cussing, and all the other things we do when I use playing uh, basketball or football. We tend to cuss a little more for football uh, for somewhat obvious reasons. But uh, at any rate, hope you enjoyed that. But because the game was on early enough, uh, it's not knocking the Gun Guy show out. So that's awesome. By the way, I am also going to co-host on Hammer and Nigel tomorrow. As you know, I always do Monday Gun Day every Monday at 3.35, and then it's replayed about 6.15 usually. Um, but every Monday, I'm, 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 I do Monday Gun Day and usually come down here to the studio to do that. Uh, tomorrow, I'm uh, going to co-host. I'm filling in for Nigel. And so from 3 to 7, I'll be in here with Jason Hammer. Uh, and Allison, by the way. Allison, uh, who is uh, uh, the producer now. She got promoted uh, to the number one mid-market drive-time radio show in America. Yes, that's right. That's the award they got. And Allison, how how you like working uh, with Hammer and Nigel? So oh, they're so much fun. And they have a bar. So, yes. win-win. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I mean. It's funny because when I tell my wife I'm coming down to do Monday Gun Day, mm-hmm. and I always say, well, honey, you know, I'm, I'm going down to do Monday Gun Day. Uh, and then, you know, I, I usually hang around downtown a little bit. And she goes, she goes, do you really have to go to the studio every Monday to do that? And, and generally, I say, well, I guess I could do it by phone, but it's so Sounds so much better when oh, I'm in this. Oh, it does. It's it, fun. And you know, and, and I don't sound very good on the phone. And, and I, I'm thinking, oh, it's worth going downtown. And uh, and 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 I think that flies right until she goes. Yeah, it's because you guys drink the whole right. show. Right. <laughs> she sees right through you. <laughs> she does. But hey, you're uh, you're our celebrity guest uh, uh, producer here on the Gun Guy <laughs> yeah, show today. Yeah, happy to be with you today. And no, it's fun uh, to, to work with you, and it's fun uh, on Hammer and Nigel as well. So we'll, we'll have some time uh, tomorrow afternoon. So tonight's Gun Guy show, I'm really uh, excited. Our, our sec- second segment coming up here uh, about 518 or so, we're going to have... Uh, Attorney General Todd Rokita, Indiana Attorney General, he's going to be on the drivehubler.com hotline. And the Attorney General just joined a lawsuit where now the state of Indiana, I'm very proud to say this, and this is something needed to happen, but the state of Indiana, along with 23 other states and a couple of private companies, um, a couple other uh, gun rights organizations, uh, are now uh, together suing the ATF over the ATF's recent uh, final rule on quote-unquote pistol braces. And and I haven't spent a lot of time getting way down deep in the weeds on pistol braces here on the Gun Guy Show, only because not everybody has one. It's not necessarily uh, a matter of interest to all gun owners, uh, like a lot of the, the constitutional issues, the legal issues, the practical issues, the training issues, all the other things we get into here on the Gun Guy Show. But this is so pervasive. For instance, the ATF, in their final rule, and, and, and I'll give you a little recap on what exactly it is they did here in a second, but, but they estimate that approximately 3 million Americans, so it's, this is not a few, it's not a couple hundred, it's not a couple thousand, 3 million, according to the ATF, have a pistol brace on their pistols. Uh, and, and, and here's what we mean by that. A lot of people take higher caliber pistols, like an AR pistol that might be in 5.56, or, or an AK pistol that might be in 7.62, a larger caliber, 
as long as that is a, a true pistol, meaning it's designed to be fired with one hand, so it doesn't have a shoulder stock on it. It can have a short barrel, a barrel under 16 inches, and you don't have to register that through the National Firearms Act with the federal government. You don't have to pay your $200 tax stamp. And if you have a suppressor, you know the process where you've had to go through and do that. If you have an SBR, a short-barreled rifle, you know that process. I have five, six uh, ATF NFA stamps, meaning I have a couple of suppressors, I have uh, short-barreled rifles, short -barreled sh a couple short-barreled shotguns. Um, but the pistols have been exempt from that process, and and inventors came out in, in roughly 2012 with what they call a pistol brace. And a pistol brace is an attachment that you can put on your pistol, and it was designed to stabilize the pistol. In fact, the full name of them is Pistol Stabilizer Brace. A lot of people call them PSBs for an acronym. And it's attached to the pistol, and it's designed to actually strap around, attach around your forearm, so it allows you to stabilize the pistol and shoot it one-handed, where you might otherwise not be able to do that, particularly if you're disabled in some way. And a lot of veterans, disabled veterans, who might be missing a limb altogether, might only have one hand or one arm, they're, they're able to shoot one-handed with the use of one of these pistol stabilizer braces. The thing is, it's an attachment and the, the part of it that straps around your forearm can also be used, when you look at most pistol braces, to use against your shoulder like a shoulder stock. Question became, when they came out, if someone uses one of these as a stock and puts it against their shoulder, does that transform a pistol into a rifle, meaning now you have to pay your $200 and register it uh, under the NFA with the federal government? If you're rolling your eyes going, who cares? This is so much administrative trivia, uh, I'll tell you why you should care. Because if you get that wrong, if in fact you have an unregistered short-barreled rifle that should have been registered under the NFA and was not, you're looking at 10 years in federal prison. That's the same as an unregistered machine gun. It's the same as an unregistered short-barreled shotgun, a so-called sawed-off shotgun. It's 10 years is the maximum penalty in federal prison. If you just happen to get this wrong, so, obviously, that's a big issue. So, the manufacturer of these braces came out, and, and there's one company called SB Tactical that's involved in the litigation that we're going to talk about here in our second segment with Attorney General Todd Rakita. And they went to the ATF, and you can ask the ATF for what they, what they call a determination letter. You can go to the ATF and say, hey, I have this thing, and I want to know whether it's legal. Please tell me. And they have a whole branch that deals with these requests. And in 2012... ATF issued a determination letter and said, yes, in fact, you can put one of these pistol stabilizer braces on your pistol and does not transform it into a rifle. And that's very important because if it, in fact, is an unregistered short-barreled rifle, you go to prison for 10 years. Big deal. From 2012 till 2023, January 31st to be exact, that's exactly what the state of the law was. And so a lot of people, again, the ATF estimates it's $3 million. The Gun Owners of America has come out with a number that it's $40 million. That sounds way high to me. I don't like braces. I think they're a compromise. I want a real stock on my gun, especially an adjustable stock that I can make comfortable for me. helps with my accuracy because it helps with my stability. So I have several short-barreled rifles I went ahead and registered. I bought a couple of firearms that have braces on them. I took the braces off, filed my Form 1, which is how you get a short-barreled rifle registered and approved, get your stamp, then you can put a stock on it if you want to. That's what I've done because I never trusted the ATF on on, on pistol stabilizer braces because I always saw that pendulum swinging back. But the fact that I predicted it and the fact that I've been forecasting it for some time isn't the point. The point is the, the ATF specifically told people it was legal to the point where millions of these things were sold, whether you think it's $3 million, like the ATF says, or $40 million, like Gun Owners of America says. Again, $40 million, hmm, do I think on average one out of every eight man, woman, and child in America has a pistol stabilizer brace? No, I don't believe that. On average, I'm realizing some people have more than one. On average, do I think one, that's what it, the math works out to for 330-odd million people in America. So I don't think there are $40 million. Uh, probably three to five, I think, ATF's estimates on the low end. Still, five million people. Let's just take a number. They have now gone out because the ATF told them it was legal. Now they're saying it's not legal. And they're saying, well, because we told you it was legal for 10 years, we're going we're gonna to give you a 120-day grace period where you can now register your short-barreled rifle 
tax-free. So they're going to waive the $200 tax, which normally it is required for you to get a tax stamp for your short-barreled rifle. But And you've got 120 days to get it done. And at the end of that 120 days, because they're giving you amnesty, essentially, for that period of time. This went into effect. The, the final rule was published January 31st of this year. So roughly May 31st, whatever the exa- whatever exactly 120 days computes out to, with February having 28, yada, yada. Do the math, but roughly May 31st, you, if you have a pistol brace that the ATF told you was legal for 10, almost 11 years, if you now have that on your pistol, you're looking at 10 years in federal prison. Is that okay? Is the government allowed to tell you one thing for a decade and then turn around and go, nah, we changed our mind? Is that all right? Can they now interpret a federal statute in a way that puts people in jail when they're doing a 180, having interpreted that same statute in a different way for a decade? That factors directly into a legal argument that we'll discuss with Attorney General Todd Rakita. But, and there's a lot of confusion, by the way. And we'll talk more about this. I'm going to take your calls. We always take your calls throughout the show. I've already warned producer Allison, who's sitting in for, for Carl. Uh, yes, uh, we do take calls for the whole two hours. Give us a call. Two th- it's 317, I should say. 239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. We're talking about pistol braces a little bit. Talk about Attorney General Keto about the litigation that Indiana has now joined. I'm very glad that we're part of that, what the outcome of that might may likely be. And at the end of that interview, we'll want to take your calls. So give us a call, 317-239-9393. Right now we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back to the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. And I'm excited about this interview. In fact, I've been looking forward to this interview uh, for several days because, as I talked about a little bit in the first segment, I'm very proud that our own Indiana Attorney General, uh, Todd Rakita, has joined a lawsuit. And this is not the first time, and we'll talk more about this, that our Attorney General has jumped into the fight for Hoosier's Second Amendment rights. But Indiana has now joined the fight through our Attorney General's office against the and completely arbitrary and, and frankly ridiculous uh, ATF regulations regarding pistol braces. And I've talked a lot about this regulation that, that went into effect January 31st, and I've talked a lot about the prospect for litigation potentially being a means to uh, to fight this and to protect Second Amendment rights in Indiana and beyond. But in the meantime, uh, right here on the uh, drivecubler.com hotline, we've got uh, Attorney General Todd Rakita. And Mr. Attorney General, man, thanks so much for joining us. You, you bet, Guy. Glad to be back with you. Absolutely. So, um, Indiana has joined a lawsuit, and, and, and by my count, there are 24 states plus some private companies, some other entities that are involved in this litigation and are, are fighting this I think, again, completely arbitrary uh, regulation by ATF about pistol braces. Just in in general terms, what are you trying to accomplish through participation in this lawsuit? Well, I'm helping to lead this lawsuit because we have to stop these unelected bureaucrats who are just bent on... Uh, you know, the taking over of our individual rights, constitutional rights, uh, by fiat, right? So these people weren't elected by anybody. You might argue that they're representatives of Joe Biden and the you know the leftist administration, but but uh, only Congress, only lawmakers, through a contract they have with the people who put them there, uh, can regulate. Uh, the Second Amendment, and, and and sometimes even then it's unsuccessful, but certainly not a, a du, you know dutifully unsuccess, uh, unsuccessful. Uh, uh, but you know now you have a situation where you know guys sitting in behind desks uh, or or worse that are bent on their. Uh, 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 performing their ideo- ideology, their socialist ideology on the rest of us, that being that they know how to take care of us better than we do, uh, really acting to keep us from defending uh, ourselves and our families. And, and that's, what the, that's what the Second Amendment's about, is defending uh, ourselves and our families uh, from, again, against anyone, including our government. Well, exactly. So, 
and defending against <laughs> government tyranny, exactly as yeah. you just said. Well, here we're talking about pistol braces. And again, I, I, my listeners, I think, are going to be pretty familiar with this. But just to recap a bit, we're talking about a, an accessory that was originally designed to actually help uh, handicapped persons uh, who may not even have two limbs or may have reduced strength in their limbs be able to shoot a pistol one-handed and uh, an accessory came into really very common use. There are estimates out there all over from 3 million to 40 million of how many of these exist and are in use uh, lawfully today anyway in the United States. And, 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 and the ATF came out very clearly, and you say this very clearly in the lawsuit, ATF came out in 2012 and said that putting one of these on your pistol does not convert that pistol into a short-barreled rifle that's then subject to regulation by the National Firearms Act in 1934. Because if you're subject to that act, then you got to register it, you got to pay, traditionally anyway, you have to pay $200 for a tax stamp, you go into, into a database. And, 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 and ATF came out very clearly, 2012, issued what they call a determination letter. And they've issued yep. more than that since then. And said, nope, you don't have to worry about these, you're good, it doesn't change a pistol into a rifle, go on about your business. And manufacturers continued to sell them, consumers, gun owners continued to buy them, and suddenly, here we are in 2023, and the ATF comes out and does a complete 180 and says, oh, no, oops, we changed our mind, you guys are all felons in the next 120 days, the way the regulation works, if you don't register these under the NFA and go into the government database. That is ludicrous to me. And that's exactly what your lawsuit says. Yeah, and not only register your property, that is your firearm, but register yourselves. Right, you know, exactly. Get, get yourself fingerprinted and pay the $200 tax, basically what a um, uh, a manufacturer has to do. Uh, they're going to do to millions of people. So this is going to affect, yeah, a lot, a lot of Hoosiers, millions of people across America, which is why uh, I'm so pleased to have so many like-minded attorneys general and like-minded states uh, join against this this effort to stop it. And they're, they're, this over, whatever we stop in this overly broad, intentionally made net. Uh, that's going to trap a lot of people and keep them from defending them again th- themselves and them f- and their families. Um, so you know, you ask what what exactly we're going to do. Well, we're going to go for an injunction to get that 120 day uh, timer stopped, and and I think we're going to be successful. You, know, you knock on wood, and because uh, you know you're dealing with a judge at this point, and then maybe the appellate process, but. Hopefully, we can get the injunction so that we don't have to uh, have a situation where, million, again, millions of people register themselves and their property uh, to the federal government, which is uh, way, way beyond uh, a way and forecloses the, the the freedoms and the liberties given to us by the Second Amendment. Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting, the legal arguments that come up in your lawsuit, um, and I think it's very well crafted. I mean, I do this for a living. Uh, you know, I litigate Second Amendment issues. Issues, and I, I went through this lawsuit, and I was actually very impressed uh, by this uh, particular complaint because it goes into a couple of different issues. And I don't want to get too deep into the legal weeds that you and I could do all day, but but I don't want to uh, bore our listeners. But in general terms, I think it's fascinating. There, there's a rule of law that that is very uh, well laid out in the complaint. And it's something that a lot of people have never heard of. I'm sure it's called the rule of lenity, and mm. a lot of people want to want to want to call that leniency, and that's not the word. It just looks like it, but it's lenity. And it says that if a federal statute or any statute, but if a statute is ambiguous, then the only legal entity out there that can resolve that ambiguity is the legislature. In this case, the Congress. And what can't happen and what's not legal to happen and what violates constitutional principles is for an administrative agency to interpret that ambiguous statute in a way that puts people in jail and that and that that's what that's what the rule of lenity prohibits what a more classic example could there possibly be than this where the same agency that came out and said oh no this is fine you can use them you're good no problem people go out and use them and now they're talking about putting you in jail for 10 years how does that possibly get past this kind of un, un, i think um, often unheard of rule of law the rule of lenity how does that pass possibly pass muster under that 
I can't. And if you go back to the statute, you mentioned uh, uh, the NFA from 1934 and then the closely related uh, Gun Control Act of 1968. Uh, you go back to the 1930s and what Congress was trying to do, again, under a, a contract, you know, you talk about the rule of entity, I, I call it a, the contract between a congressman or woman and and the voters that put him or her there. I mean, they're the one that they're the ones that are to deal with this. And mm-hmm. and um, if you go back to the 1930s, what Congress then was trying to do was to stop sawed-off shotguns and 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 criminals who are otherwise taking legally manufactured firearms and and modifying them uh, to do criminal activity. And that's not the case here. Uh, but it, but if you read the plain language of those statutes, you'll find that it just applies to the manufactured piece itself. Yeah. Uh, accessories can't modify the weapon the way Congress uh, thought could be done so mm-hmm. to commit criminal activity. You know, a pistol brace usually going around the forearm uh, simply doesn't do that. It doesn't turn a pistol into something uh, that Congress ever intended to be uh, registered. Again, not just the property, but the person associated with the property. And so this is really, for me, this is the, this is the beginning of a gun registry. This is the beginning of a, uh, of a gun owner registry more than we have now uh and ultimately you know the next step with these people is going to be a gun grab uh that sets it all up and so we have got to nip this uh right now and and uh you know i'm pleased with the response you know 20 24 states uh 40 page complaint that uh has some great examples it's a good read for those who are interested in getting into the nitty-gritty and some of the details here Uh, we take a lot of time uh to lay out the NFA, what it what it was meant to do, what it wasn't meant to do, the GCA from 1968, what it was meant to do for manufacturers and and not meant to do, and then it goes into detail about how gun manufacturers manufacturers at the time of uh, pistol braces when it was first invented. The, the the inventor was watching his combat veteran friend uh, get 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 stopped at uh, a range. From by the safety officer from using his weapon because the safety officer felt he couldn't uh, the combat veteran who was wounded missing I believe it was missing an arm or something similar uh, couldn't safely control his weapon and and the inventor of the brace thought that that was a shame and and invented this product so that uh, the combat veteran and 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 hundreds of thousands like him uh, could could enjoy their hobby, could 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 fire safely, could defend themselves, uh, and and that's exactly what happened. And they and the and the manufacturers of the brace guy, as you know, did the right thing at the time. You you alluded to it a little bit earlier. They wrote the federal government and said, "Hey, we have this new product. It could be very fi- beneficial for increasing safety." Um, before we invest millions of dollars in 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 taking the prototype and making it a, a regular accessory, uh, do you find it to be? And before we start, and maybe if we don't like the answer, we'll litigate it. But do you find it to be a reclass a situation where it would reclassify the weapon into something more regulated under the NFA or GSA? And and the uh, ATF at the time said, no way. It's fine. Uh, we agree with you. And so on went the industry for uh, over a decade now, again, until the socialists came in and said, no, we know what we want to do better than what than, and we know how to protect you, quote unquote, uh, better than you do. And now, you know, you're going to register yourselves and your property. And uh, and here we be. But the, but the complaint goes into that kind of detail, uh, Guy, and um, uh, you can easily find it um, on, on, on all kinds of different websites sites by now, uh, including uh, mine at the Indiana Attorney General's office. Well, absolutely. And I'll, and I'll post that link as well. And, uh, and Mr. Attorney General, last question. You know, I'm not a big uh, believer in, in conspiracy theories, and I tend to roll my eyes at most of them, although a lot of them <laughs> turn out to be true in recent years. But, you know, there's a, a theory out there that ATF actually did this originally in terms of, of saying, oh, no, these braces are just fine, you know, a 11 years ago now, allowing millions of people to buy them, and then turning around and saying, oh, no, sorry, we changed our mind, now you have to register them, that this was a plan all along 
to be able to force more and more people to register and and given the ridiculous political term that we hear over and over their assault weapon quote unquote um, mm-hmm. because obviously that that's the term ascribed to a lot of the firearms we're talking about by 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 people who would destroy our second amendment rights but 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 it was a plan all along to get millions and millions of people to use these things and then turn around and say oh no now you got to register them and turn around and if if they comply that's a big if in my mind but if they comply now suddenly you've got millions of more people of millions of more people on that list and once you have that list and then your ultimate goal is to ban the same firearms doesn't that do you uh, a, a world of good in terms of doing what you ultimately want to do which is to ban and confiscate the same firearms you know grandpa relford used to say all the time just because you're paranoid that don't mean they ain't out to get you um, but that kind of <laughs> that kind of seems like it fits in this context yeah, I mean, it certainly sets a lot of people up to be trapped, and uh, that's why we're fighting. And I think we have a real good chance, again, knocking on wood, and we're going to fight it to the end. Uh, and, you know, if you look at it in terms of a baseball game guy, you know, we're probably just in the bottom of the first here. So, uh, But it's a big first, second, third inning, and uh, we got to get that injunction in place, and we have to, um, uh, you know, be full force on this. And, uh, again, I think we're, we're set up real well here to, to, to nip this. And, um, uh, you know, everyone stay tuned. Um, I'm certainly not advocating, not following the law, quote unquote. But, um, you know, we have got to, uh, as we approach the 120 days, too, and, and, and see how we're going to handle that. But my goal is to have an injunction in place tolling that uh, before we get anywhere close. Fantastic. Well, uh, Todd Rokita, not the first time that you've uh, litigated, uh, filed lawsuits, participated in lawsuits in order to. Uh, pr- uh, to protect the Second Amendment rights of Hoosiers, so uh, you and I, you and I, I, I consider myself a friend of your office. Uh, you and I work together on the the uh, Indiana uh, Gun Owners Bill of Rights, and I, I applaud you for filing this lawsuit. That's exactly what needs to be done on behalf of Hoosiers. So thank you so much, and thank you for joining the Gun Guy Show today. Yeah, thank you, Guy. Appreciate you, and you are a friend of the office. And uh, that Gun Owners Bill of Rights keeps flying off the shelves uh, digitally and on paper. So. Uh, please go get that to uh, everyone. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Uh, we'll be right back. We're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Thanks again to Indiana Attorney General Todd Rakita for joining us here to talk about the litigation Indiana is now involved in. Glad to hear that. I'm going to talk more about how the litigation process works. And... Uh, and, and, and how likely it is, in my view anyway, um, that we're going to get relief from this new final rule on pistol braces before that 120-day deadline, which is uh, end of May. But in the meantime, we've had a couple of people call in, and Randy has been patient and on hold. Randy wants to talk about pistol braces. Randy, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Hey, Guy. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, buddy. Uh, you know, I like one of the words that... Uh, Mr. Akita used there, and that was trapped. Yeah. Uh, I just purchased my my pistol in December, mid-December, uh, and the ATF had no problem approving my paperwork. And then a month later, they're trying to tell me I might go to prison for it. Um, and so, uh, you know, it just feels, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that feel this way. It just feels like it, it is entrapment um, when, they, when they approve it within 30 days of me purchasing, you know, and getting it transferred. Um, I've considered buying a pistol brace or a, a, a buffer tube for it and just replacing that. And I'm just wondering if that's what you would suggest I do, or we just wait it out with what Mr. Rakita's got filed. Well, you know, we can go into that a little bit, Randy, and I'm glad you called because these are these are important questions. But I'm a little confused because if it was only a pistol with a pistol brace on it, that's not something you would have had to register. So I'm not sure what it is you got approved in 30 days if you bought a pistol with a brace on it. No, I, I didn't get anything approved. I'm saying I purchased it mid-December, um, and, you know— it, they approved my paperwork on the on the purchase of it. And oh, then just just the a, so you pass the background check to buy the gun. Essentially, is what right, you're saying. Right, right. Okay. Well, and, and just so everybody knows, we're talking about a little bit different things, and I don't mean to to uh, 
nitpick here, Randy, but the FBI uh, does your background check when you go into a gun store to buy a gun. That's NICS. That's the National Instant Criminal Background Check System. Um, that's supposed to be done, quote unquote, instantly. That's the I and NICS. Um, okay. And so then that, that comes back. And then the, the NFA application process where you have to file a Form 1 to make an NFA item like a short-barreled rifle or a Form 4 to transfer an NFA item, like if you're just buying a suppressor, that's that those applications and that tax is paid to the ATF. It's all part of the Department of Justice uh, as part of the U.S. government. But uh, – but it's a little it's a different agency than the FBI and it's handled a little bit differently but back to your point and your question um you know to, if you just have a pistol um and then you you know and and you, and you either you bought it with a brace or you bought a brace to put on it afterward now you have until this this may something deadline uh to figure out um what you want to do the options uh, uh are that uh, and this is all, all according to ATF. The options are, you can just take the brace off of it and just have a buffer tube on it. And you mentioned buying a buffer tube. I mean, typically, if it's an AR pistol or an a, not so much an AK, but an AR pistol in particular, it's already got a buffer tube because a buffer tube is necessary for the thing to function. That's that's how an AR functions is with a buffer tube. If you only have a buffer tube on it, and importantly, the buffer tube hasn't been lengthened. It hasn't had any material added to it to facilitate shouldering. Then just the buffer tube, which is required for the operation of cycling the firearm when the gun fires. That's that how it works. Because the, the the buffer tube has the buffer spring, and and when the when the when the when the when the when the bolt cycles, it's the buffer spring uh, under the the the. the energy of that spring reacting to the energy of the gun going off that makes the gun cycle. And that buffer tube is necessary to the functioning of the gun. So ATF has said, if you only have a buffer tube, a bare tube, it's a standard length tube, which is typically six and a half inches or so, and there's no material added and it hasn't been length so as to help you shoulder the firearm, then that's okay. That's not an SBR. They've said, by their estimation, given these factors they apply, basically, they say 99%. I'm not so sure they wouldn't uh, admit that it's really all pistols with stabilizer braces on them. Currently, they say are SBRs that have to be registered within this deadline. What does the ATF say about your options? If you have a brace on your pistol today, other than registering it as an SBR, that's what we'll get into after the break. Right now, we're a little past the three-quarter hour, so we're going to take a break. We'll come back. Join the discussion, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. But we got a very short segment. Get into after the top of the hour and continue to take your calls. We got a couple people on hold now. Uh, our buddy Buzz has called in, which we'll get to after the top of the hour as well. We're talking again about what your options are. You got a pistol with a brace on it. And by the way, I can't go to the range, uh, especially where they allow 556 or, or 223, uh, 7.62, you know, those kind of calibers. I, don't go, I, don't, I can't ever go without seeing somebody with a, with a braced pistol that are subject to this new ruling. It really is a big deal. Uh, we're going to wrap up that discussion, though, in our next segment, and as well as take uh, your calls as we do throughout the show, switch gears a little bit and talk about what's going on in the Indiana General Assembly and then whatever it is you want to talk about uh, with your call. So, as, as always, give us a call, 317-239-9393. But for right now, just to set up the, the second hour a little bit, we're going to talk about what your options are. Because a lot of people, if you go out on social media, a whole lot of people are out there saying, hey, look, the way to battle this ridiculous regulation coming out of ATF is just mass noncompliance. Just nobody comply. And, and again, a lot of people are throwing around the 40 million number. Again, I think that's grossly inflated. I don't think it, it, it enhances our credibility as gun owners when we, we throw around numbers that, that I don't think, think have credibility. But whatever the number is, three to five million is probably more credible. Gun Owners of America says 40. Okay, I'll pick something in the middle. It doesn't matter to me what the number is. There's still millions of people. If you're one of those millions of people, what do you do? Do you have to register or face 10 years in prison? No. In fact, there are some other options as well. And even the ATF says these are acceptable options where you can avoid registration and still not have an illegal short-barreled rifle uh, that'll land you in prison if you're caught with it. We'll talk about what those are and get into uh, other topics as well. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC.
A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for hour number two of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. Uh, we're going to get to the phone lines here in just a bit, and we're glad folks have called in. But I'm going to wrap up the discussion, at least for now. And if you have questions about the whole pistol brace issue, a lot of people do, man. A lot of people are talking about it on social media, and there's a lot of confusion. But I'm going to leave the discussion, at least for now, other than uh, taking your calls throughout the show, uh, with this, which is, okay, you have a pistol brace on your, your, bra- your, on your pistol, uh, ATF says you need to register that within 120 days from January 31st. If it's not registered after that, you've got an unregistered SBR. You can go to prison. Well, what if you don't want to register? Because an awful lot of people are saying, and I alluded to this in the interview with Attorney General Rokita, a lot of people are saying this is just a forced registration scheme to figure out who has AR and AK pistols. And because the government wants, to, wants you to register them, which is what? A list of who owns them so that if Biden accomplishes what he keeps saying he's going to do, not a week goes by. You don't hear President Biden say, we're going to ban assault weapons. We banned it before because he was involved in the assault weapons ban of 1994 when he was in, in the Senate, along with Dianne Feinstein and others who led that march to get an assault weapons ban on the books from 2004 to 04 when it expired. But he says, hey, we banned assault weapons once. We're going to do it again. Well, if he does that, what he keeps promising to do, I mean, it's not paranoid when you when you say, wow, they're trying to do something here, when the president goes on national TV and tells you he's going to do it. If they ban assault weapons, which would basically be any semi-automatic firearm that takes a detachable magazine, if you read the definitions, and they have a list of, oh, say, 5 million gun owners who have registered their AR or AK pistols, what's the first thing they're going to do with that list? If you own something that's been banned and the government knows you own it because you registered it, what do you think the next step's going to be? Now, a lot of the so-called assault weapon bans have grandfather clauses saying, well, if you've owned it at the time the act goes into effect, there's a, there was a bill last Congress that got passed in the House never got a vote in the Senate. It said exactly that. But they're non-transferable forever. So now they know who owns them, and if you die, your estate can't transfer it. So what happens to it then? Well, it's got to be destroyed or turned into the ATF. So that's their way of ending assault weapons, even if there's a grandfather provision. What if there's no grandfather provision? Oh, no. There's a mandatory buyback program. You've heard about that. You heard Beto O'Rourke and other idiots running for president saying, yeah, we'll have a mandatory buyback program. The people will give them back, and they'll get a little bit of money. Well, that's just confiscation. Because what if you say, no, I don't want to sell it back? By the way, how do you how do you have a buyback program where you transfer something to somebody who never owned it? How is that a buyback? If the government never owned my gun, how is it that I, they can buy it back? No, they're just confiscating it and offering me some tidbit of compensation. All that is is confiscation under another name. But a lot of people are saying, I'm not going to register my braced firearm because... I see the steps down the road. This has been deliberate all along to lure millions of people into using these things so we can then have registration and then have confiscation. Now, am I predicting we're going to see an assault open ban in Congress anytime soon, especially with Republicans having a majority in the Senate, albeit an incredibly slim majority? No, especially since it would still take 60 votes and the Democrats aren't in power to change the 60-vote rule in the Senate, which is... Not to pass a bill, is to call a bill to a vote and end debate. They call cloture. And it's a, it's a big reason why not much gets done in the Senate, because you need a 60-vote majority to get any damn thing done. When it comes to gun control, that's a good thing. Because even when Democrats had a, their slim majority here the last two years, they couldn't get gun control passed. They knew they didn't have the 60 votes. Probably didn't have 51 because you had people like Joe Manchin and 
and Christian Cinema and others who were more in the middle, even as a Democrat. But just because they don't have the votes today doesn't mean they wouldn't have the votes at some point in the future. And a lot of people are then saying, hell no, I'm not going to register my gun. I'm not, I'm not going on that list. A lot of other people I've, I've talked to said, well, hey, it's free. They're waiving the $200 during this 120 days. And I've wanted to SBR my gun all along. That's what I did. I bought two guns that had braces on them. I took the braces off because I think braces are stupid. And I knew the ATF was going to do something like this all along. So I went ahead and registered mine. I paid the 200 bucks. Are those guns on a list now? Yes. If those guns get banned, will they know where to come? Sure. Do I have plenty of other guns that I didn't have to register? Yes, of course. And a lot of us do. But a lot of people are, are, are saying uh, that I'm going to go ahead and register. And then, and, and then there's this whole internet debate. That's where social media becomes so tedious. Because people are saying, oh, I wanted to register it all along. I'm going to go ahead and register mine and do it for free. Next thing you know, they're getting called names like bootlickers. Right? What's that? Well, they're they're licking the boots of the of the, of the government because they're going to comply. Hey, look, let everybody make their own decisions. Live and let live. I'm not going to be judgmental. I'm going to make my own decisions. But what if you don't want to register and you still don't want to have any legal gun? A lot of people are saying, screw it. I'm going to leave my brace on. I'm not registering it. If government wants to come take it, then hey, that's great. I don't personally want to do ten years in prison. Don't want to lose my law license. Don't want to lose my businesses. So I just assume not flirt with 10 years in prison. You decide you want to stand up to the government. Uh, you see a lot of memes out there. Become ungovernable. I like that. That's kind of cool. Become ungovernable. And then you'll see pictures of some of the founding fathers during Revolutionary War. That's what they became. They became ungovernable and had a revolution. I get it. So some people are saying to hell with it. I'm going to die in a, in, a, in, a, in a pile of hot brass in my doorstep if the ATF comes for my gun. Okay, all right. Other people are saying, no, I, I, I will go ahead and register. What if you don't want to register and you also don't want to be subject to arrest and, and prosecution and potentially 10 years in prison? And by the way, that's the maximum penalty. I'm not trying to be uh, melodramatic. That's a maximum penalty. If you don't have any other criminal history, you get caught with an unregistered SBR, are you going to do the full 10 years? Very unlikely. But you sure as hell could do a couple. And depending on the mood of the judge and the deal you might work out with a prosecutor, you might do more than that. If you push that case to trial, you say, oh, no, this law is unconstitutional. I'm going to litigate it. And you lose on all those legal issues. And a jury finds you guilty. What could the judge sentence you to as opposed to a plea agreement where you work out a better deal? Well, you could do five. It depends on the judge. It depends on the prosecutor. It depends on how your case goes. But what are your other options? other than registration or facing 10 years in prison. Well, the ATF lays those out in the final rule. It's actually in the Q&A. One is just take the brace off. Now, the, the ATF says, and then make the brace or modify the brace, I should say, so it can't be reattached to the firearm. Now, so what does that look like? You know, modifies modify the attachment mechanisms so it simply can't be reattached. Saw that off. Throw it, throw it away. Don't have it around. Do I think if if the ATF comes to your house and you have a, a AR pistol and a pistol brace in a drawer somewhere, they're going to necessarily take you to jail? Well, there's something called constructive possession, where you you don't necessarily have the thing, but you, they can prove you had the intent to have the thing. That's a shorthand version, but that's what it means. That ATF hasn't had a successful constructive possession case in a long damn time. But if you don't want to worry about that, throw the thing away, which is roughly the same as, as just going back to just the pistol with just, for instance, for an AR, just the buffer tube. Again, as I said before, if it, if it hasn't been lengthened or modified in some way to add surface area to facilitate using it against your shoulder, the ATF says that's legal. ATF says you can destroy the firearm. Okay, great. I'm a, I don't want to go to 10 years in prison, so I'm going to take my $1,200 AR pistol and saw it in half. Uh, well, it doesn't sound very palatable. They say you can, you can surrender it to ATF. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound very good either. That's right up there with destroying it. Another option, though, other than just taking the damn pistol brace off, is putting a barrel on that's longer than six 
16 inches, 16 inches or longer. Well, then you don't have a pistol anymore. You could, you could put a damn stock on it at that point or a pistol brace because it doesn't have a pistol-length barrel, so it can't be a short-barreled rifle. So those are some additional options as well. So, again, we'll, we'll continue to, to, to take your calls on the pistol brace issue, but we want to get into some other subjects and get to our callers uh, who are parked on hold right now. We're going to do all that after this break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. 93 WIBC is what I'm trying to say. I've only been saying that for nine years, multiple times every Saturday. Um, but, hey, we've got a whole bunch of people on the phone lines, and some have been on hold for quite a while. So let's go to the phone lines. And uh, I think it says eBuzz. eBuzz? Well, what you got for us? Hey, I got a question for you. Okay. Uh, say you're, you live in a house. That is getting emergency custody. That's getting what? I'm sorry. Emergency custody of of someone. Like of a of a child. Yes. Okay. And you have all your firearms. Is there a way that they can circumvent and use the red flag law to come in and take away your firearms? Yeah, well, it, it, when it, it say emergency custody, is this where, like, Child Protective Services is coming in to take children away from people in that house? No, no, we're receiving. Oh, 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 oh. Well, then, see, I mean, it would make sense if, if, if Child Protective Services were saying, well, children need to be rescued from some environment because the people there are, you know, are dangerous to the children. Um, they, but you know, obviously, it's the other end of the equation that you're asking about. In the first situation that I thought you were asking about, then sure. I mean, let's say uh, Child Protective Services got got noticed that um, there was a bunch of drugs in the house and there were guns laying around with people using drugs and dealing drugs and there were children in the house and the children needed to be uh, rescued. Could they take those guns under the red flag law? Yeah, absolutely. But being on the other side of it, and being the, someone who's receiving custody, as you mentioned, uh, no, I mean, not unless there's some independent basis for uh, a judge to determine there's probable cause to believe that you're dangerous. In other words, that you present an imminent risk of personal injury to yourself or others. Um, and there's other, there's a broader definition of dangerous, but in all likelihood, that's what would have to apply. So, no, I mean, there would have to be some evidence, some basis for someone to contend that you're dangerous uh, no. in order to get your guns taken under yeah. the red flag. I was just worried. I'm just trying to cover. Yeah, no, I got it, and I'm, we're glad you called, and I uh, was glad I was able to answer. But let's uh, let's keep going because that was eBuzz, and then separately we've got Buzz. So I got confused, and I think Buzz also wants to talk about red flag laws. So I was looking at Allison like she had three heads, going, "What? You got the same guy just calling him Buzz and eBuzz?" But sounds like this is my buddy Buzz who calls regularly. Is that you, Buzz? Yeah, apparently, maybe, maybe maybe we did have the same guy calling twice. Let's go back to the phone lines and Jeff. Jeff, you've been on hold for a while, buddy. Thanks for your patience. Oh yeah, thanks. Uh, so I just, as I listen to your show, which I can't hear very often because I live in Bloomfield, but I drive back and forth to Bloomington. I can okay. pick you up over there. You can always catch the podcast, man. You can always yeah. you can find it on iTunes. You can find <laughs> it at the WIBC page. Just go to the Gun Guy. But anyway, um, we're glad you're listening today. Anyway. So, uh, you know, I was in the state house for seven years, and we dealt with a lot of issues up there. When okay. My first first year I was in public policy. We it took us many many times, like you you kind of know, to get things passed, right? Sure. But it seems like the federal government, uh, in, in, on this particular issue, Second Amendment rights, they seem to put the hammer down, and and make more laws that are so confusing that then Heinz has pickles, I think intentionally to get people tripped up. And that's just the mentality of that, that division or that department, but all the other things that are going on that are actually costing people's lives yeah. that are people breaking laws, you know, like coming over the borders and bring, bring in China made fentanyl, right. That's killing citizens, U S citizens by the thousands, literally every month. Sure. And then other drugs that are federally regulated that are illegal, but other states are passing laws, right, to legalize them at their state level. And, you know, you don't hear much about that from the Fed. At least I don't. 
No, it seems like they pick and choose. Well, they do, Jeff. And and the frustrating thing for me on Second Amendment issues, obviously that's my focus, is at least in the Indiana legislature, if you have a bill, um, any amendments to that bill that any other legislator would propose, and if you were in the state house for seven years, you know about this process. Indiana has uh, a rule that requires that any amendments to the bill that the amendments be germane to the subject matter of the bill. And they enforce that pretty darn well. There have been times I've tried to get bills amended in a way that maybe stretched a little bit the subject matter of the original bill. And I've had my friends in the legislature or people there over there in, in legislative services, and this is their job to interpret things like that. And then ultimately you have the Rules Committee that looks at this as well. And then they'll say, no, guy, that's really not germane. Fed, the federal government in Congress has no such limitation. So you get these ridiculous amendments that get tacked on to these ridiculously long bill that, that where the original subject matter of the bill has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I mean, I always laugh when I teach my gun law class and we're talking about having a gun in a federal park, in a national park. You know the law that, that changed, that allowed now you can have a handgun in a national park, and obviously there's other places where hunting... Um, is legally allowed, and there's different provisions there. But I'm just talking about generally carrying your gun into a national park, your personal defense sidearm, for instance. Um, the law that made it legal for you to carry a handgun in a national park, as long as it's legal for you to possess a gun in the state which, where the national park is located, that that law was the Credit Card Protection Act of 2009. I mean, I, I was glad the law passed, and I'm glad you can carry your gun into a national park. That just shows you how ridiculous federal legislation is. Somebody tacked this on. Now, here it was a Republican who wanted to expand our gun rights, and that's great. But on the other side, you get these bills that have nothing to do. Well, the, 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 the funding bill every year, and this just happened to us. you got to look hard at, at the, the bill every year that funds the federal government because they slap a bunch of money in there for programs that are specifically designed to restrict your Second Amendment rights. And, and all kinds of other bills as well. So you're right, and, and that's one of the reasons these bills get ridiculously long and because they can, they can be incredibly sneaky and stick stuff in there because, you know, the old Obama Obamacare bill, I mean, you know, what did we hear from then Speaker of the House Pelosi? We have to pass it so we can read it and find out what's in it. Is that ridiculous? That's how the process works in Congress. It's one of the reasons that things in Congress are broken. I'm going to see if Buzz perhaps is back on the line. Buzz, you there? Nope. You know what? Uh, this we're... is not Buzz. This is Jay. Okay. All right. Hey. Uh, all right. Did you have a question as well? I, I I have a couple comments. First of all, I really appreciate the work that you're doing, guy. Thank you, man. I appreciate that a lot. And uh, and I I love the updates and everything else. And and uh, I also wanted to check in just see how are things going with the two A project. <laughs> you could if you could speak to that because I think that's a big thing. Well, it is, and thanks for mentioning that. Uh, and, and just so people know, I did not send this gentleman 20 bucks to mention the 2A project. He did not. <laughs> he did not. <laughs> but, yeah, to answer your question, sir, it, and I appreciate you very much asking, um, you know, we, 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 our membership has grown and grown and grown. Um, the uh, You know, we've had a big influence. If you go to talk to the legislators uh, who were uh, right on the front lines, I'm talking about Ben Smaltz and Jim Lucas and Jerry Tor and Peggy Mayfield, uh, and others, uh, and 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 you ask them um, who the 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 nonprofits were, the the gun rights advocacy groups that were in there that had an influence in getting constitutional carry passed last year. They 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 put two A project at the top of the list, and I'm proud of that because that's me. I mean, uh, I, I'm I'm the only employee of the two A project. I don't I don't take a salary. I haven't paid myself anything. I haven't paid myself a dime as yet, but. Uh, that's me. I'm the one showing up at those hearings. I'm the one participating in drafting the bills. I'm the one, you know, getting the the 6 a.m. Uh, calls and emails asking me to review amendments and whatnot. Uh, and we fought that process. And 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 look, the, the the main fight was done in the legislature, but that's not done without support from others, including uh, NRA. The you know, however much I'm critical of the national leadership of NRA. And I, and I certainly am. And I've told NRA, you know, in certain terms, they're not going to see any more money from me. I'm a benefactor life member. 
of NRA. I've sent them a whole bunch of money. They're not going to see any more money from me until they replace their national leadership. Having said that, our local people that come in here right now is John Weber. Before that, it was Dr. Chris Kapaki. Our local people who fly in here and help us in Indiana at the local level, at the state level, are rock stars. They're great. They're hardworking. They're at all those. They're in all those same meetings. They're getting those same early morning phone calls. Uh, and they're and they're putting in the same kind of hours, um, but I'm proud to say Two Way Project uh, really led the fight uh, for for constitutional carry, and even the legislators give us a lot of credit. Um, what we've not done, I, I think, well enough, and this is why I appreciate your question, is really solicit membership. Go out there. Uh, we haven't we haven't, for instance, gone to corporate. Uh, potential corporate contributors, and that's where you can get a lot more money involved. Um, we, we need to be more active, and we, we've endorsed some candidates. We funded to some degree some candidates because we're a 501c4, which allows us. We set it up that way on purpose because it allows us to be involved in the political process. Um, but we need to be more active. We need to do all, uh, more of all of that, and that's only because I haven't brought more people in to assist. We need some volunteers, perhaps a paid employee or two, to help us with renewing memberships, to solicit new memberships, uh, to sell our products, uh, to you know get our T-shirts and hats and whatnot out there. So um, I, I've been so so busy fighting in the legislature, I haven't handled the business side of the 2A project very well. I'm the first to admit it, but we're working on that. And uh, we're talking uh, to the board, and and we're going to get these things fixed and and, and expand uh, the two A project because I, w- I want to be a force not just in Indiana but nationally, and there's no reason we can't be. But thanks again for that inquiry. That was very nice of you. We got several other people on hold, uh, and we'll get to all your your questions or comments when we come back. Right now, though, at bottom of the hour, we need to take a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on ninety three WYBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Let's go right back to the phone lines because we had a bunch of callers, people on hold for a while. Ryan, hey, thanks for holding, man. Thanks for your patience. What you got for us? Ryan, are you there, pal? Oh, yeah, I am. Sorry. Oh, yeah, no, what Sorry, you got for us? I didn't us? hear my name. Yeah, there, yeah. Um, what, okay. what can we do for you? Uh, guy, um, in my 20s, I was really stupid. Um, I drank a lot. And I ran down irrigation lanes and stuff like that and got picked up for OWIs. Um, And I was wondering, now that I'm 45 years old, um, can I get those expunged? It's it's two different counties, and I don't even remember. uh, um, I don't remember now where my record is well, that, well that's all right right no let, let me let me talk you through it a little bit um so it sounds like you have uh you know multiple convictions and at least one of them uh was a felony and that's what deprives you deprives you of your gun rights if everything's in indiana i mean this is something i do regularly and and for the alcohol related convictions for instance in and in, in for other people who don't know if you get a second owi or or second or or more um, within five years of your first conviction, then uh, uh, the second one can be a felony, and 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 any subsequent one after that within five years can be a felony. So people with felony convictions have lost their gun rights. And there's a, a horrible myth out there that if you have a nonviolent felony, you can possess a gun in Indiana. Well, no, you can't. Any felony under federal law means you can't possess a gun anywhere, anytime. At, at home, in a car, anywhere else. Our constitutional carry law says if you have a felony conviction, you can't carry a handgun under constitutional carry. So you need to get those expunged. If it's been at least eight years, Ryan, if it's been eight years and you have a clean criminal history within that eight years and you paid all your fines, fees, and court costs and there are no active criminal investigations against you, then yes, you can go in, you can get all those convictions expunged off your record and get your rights restored. And that's something I do at my law office regularly. So it sounds like it's something if it's okay, been over so eight years since your last conviction that you're likely eligible for. Okay, so I can come into your office or, or call you. Yeah, just and, give me a call. And you could do that regardless if it's um, – I'm up north of you, 
uh, Jasper and Newton. No, 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 that's okay, Ryan. I do them all over the state because I file them electronically. In fact, you and I can communicate by email. Uh, we can handle a representation agreement. We can do it all electronically. You don't. It's great if you want to come to my office. I always love to meet my clients, but we don't have to. And I file them. I literally have, have filed them um, in, in almost every county in the in the state. I, and I'd love to click off all ninety-two. So uh, so no, give me a call and we'd be happy to help you with that. Let's go back to the phone lines. And Will's also been holding for a while. Will, you want to talk about pistol braces? Well, I'm not sure. I keep hearing about the pistol brace, but as a kid, I used to watch a Western, and a guy was a six-gun, but every once in a while he'd put out a brace and bolt it to the pistol and shoot it like a rifle. Yeah. And I was looking through the farm's collector's price book. I found 10 pistols that came with a bolt-on rifle stock. Yeah. Now, how is that not a rifle? I mean, one is a... Well, this actually was litigated. There are some uh, kits that come where you'll have the pistol and there'll be uh, a rifle stock, but there'll also be a pistol stock or maybe even also a brace. And... And the ATF tried to say that was constructive possession because the, the, the shoulder stock was in there. So they said, aha, since the kit contains the shoulder stock, that means you have constructive possession uh, of a short-barreled rifle. And that actually was litigated. And they said no, because there's also a legal configuration available with this kit. And it's only if you actually put the shoulder stock on the pistol do you have a short-barreled rifle. Um, but I would be concerned, especially with this new uh, rule, because we call it the pistol brace rule. And actually, Will, I'm glad... You asked this question um, because it, it can be misleading to call it a, just a pistol brace rule because it applies beyond that. Um, any other attachment that that also is useful for shouldering the the pistol, there, thereby converts it to a rifle under this new ruling. So that can be um, you know other devices that function the same. For instance, just a a, a uh, uh, the tube itself. The buffer tube, if you add, you know, a plate or some other surface areas, some people, we were laughing, you know, people for a long time have cut a tennis ball and stuck a tennis ball on the end of the buffer tube and put that against their shoulder because it makes it more comfortable. Under the ATF rule, that, a damn tennis ball on the end of your buffer tube would convert that firearm into a short-barreled rifle. Um, so it, it, it's expanded beyond that. But if a kit only has the pistol and a shoulder stock, um, that's it. So there's no legal configuration for that. Um, that's how it comes. That's a short-barreled rifle. And if that was purchased and there are no other lawful configurations you can put that firearm in, then, yeah, you got to worry about this new rule, even though it's not technically a brace. Tell you what, quickly, before we go to the break, because Lynn's been on hold for quite a while. Uh, Lynn, uh, what can we do for you? What you got? Hi, Guy, and I appreciate everything that you're doing. Thanks, brother. Uh, but I, I have a question. Um, that's already going on in New York, and I want to know what the possibility is of this happening in Indiana. We've had soldiers in New York uh, that have been back from Iraq or Afghanistan for the last six years. They were diagnosed with PTSD, and now they're getting knocks on their doors from either VA personnel or from their police department uh, to confiscate their guns under the red uh, flag walls yeah. because they have PTSD. Yeah. No, it, well, uh, for a couple of things, under the, uh, on the Obama administration, and Lynn, thanks so much for calling, under the Obama administration, if, if a soldier through VA got a PTSD diagnosis, they were getting a letter in the mail from the Justice Department saying they were prohibited from possessing firearms. These are veterans that went out into combat put their lives on the line to fight for your constitutional rights and my constitutional rights, they come home and the government, their own government, wants to reward them for putting their life on the line, for perhaps becoming disabled and, and incurring a significant injury like PTSD as a result of serving their country, wants to reward them by taking their Second Amendment rights away. Can the red flag law be used in the same way? Yes, sir, absolutely. In fact, I have defended, in fact, I had to try a red flag case in Henry County where a police department red flagged one of their own officers because he got a PTSD diagnosis, some horrific things that happened to him as a police officer. And he'd observed some things that were horrifying that dramatically affected him. Very, very, very violent things that would, I think, give anybody PTSD. He was diagnosed. You can't do your job as a police officer. And as a result, his own department said, that if you're disabled such you can't do your job, you must be 
dangerous under the red flag law and filed a red flag proceeding. And I had to go in and try that case. They brought in a special prosecutor. We had a full-blown trial. And I put witnesses on the stand, expert witnesses, that said, yes, he has PTSD, but he's not dangerous. PTSD doesn't always manifest itself in a way that makes someone want to be suicidal or homicidal or to hurt anyone in any way. You could just be hyper-aware, for instance. You could just be somewhat paranoid in public settings. You can have horrific nightmares to where you can't ever sleep. So you're, you're devastatingly tired all the damn time, exhausted. PTSD can manifest itself in a million ways that have nothing to do with you being dangerous. And that's exactly what this police officer suffered from. He wasn't dangerous in any way. And we kicked ass. We went in there. We won the case. The judge said, you, sir, are not dangerous in any way. We got his guns, his guns back and his gun rights back. Could that happen to a soldier under the same circumstances? You bet it could. And that's a real danger of red flag laws as they're currently written. I'll tell you, we got a couple people still on hold, but we need to take a break. We'll go back to the phone lines and then wrap up this edition of The Gun Guy Show in our last segment when we come back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Great music there by celebrity guest producer. Allison Lemons, we're thrilled she's with us and did a fabulous job, uh, who now is producing Hammer and Nigel, the number one rated mid-market drive-time radio show in America. Isn't that cool? What a great award they got. Uh, and so, Allison, I'm going to see you Monday because I'm, I'm filling in for Nigel, so I'll, we'll be uh, hanging out all afternoon. Yeah, we're just warming up here. Absolutely. Yeah. And now that, now that you've done my show, you, you'll be all over Ask the Gun Guy that we, t- we tend to do because that's what I do here for two hours. Absolutely. So we'll just do it for a segment or two. But it's we're a good glad. practice run. Exactly. <laughs> and by the way, uh, for the first time... Um, uh, this show, we actually broadcast the show live um, through YouTube. The link is on the 93WIBC page. Uh, and so I'm sure after the, the show, there'll be an opportunity to to go in and replay that. And the link is also also on the WIBC Facebook page. And so I've never done that before. I came in and Allison goes, hey, you're all set up to live stream. I'm like, what? I don't live stream my show. And she goes, yeah, we can do it if you want to. I said, well, hell yeah. I mean, I'm not much to look at, but but what the hell? Um, and uh, I am modeling my 2A project hat with my gun sight lapel pin. Very proud of that. Uh, but but if you uh, start watching uh, the live feed or if you listen to the Gun Guy show regularly, uh, that opportunity is available to you. Uh, and actually, I'm looking at I'm looking at the on YouTube right now, and a whole bunch of people have gone on there and have had asked questions or comments or um, somebody asked, "Is guy taking questions from here, brother? We got we got two minutes left in the show, or I would have done that." So sorry for my naivete and lack of familiarity. But from now on, I will take questions from the YouTube chat because uh, we got some folks on there watching. So that's pretty damn cool. Uh, but to wrap up this show, I'll tell you what: we've had somebody on hold forever, and I don't want to leave the show without getting to him because he's been on hold. Uh, but but Rich, we, we only have about a minute, brother, but what can I do for you? I will keep it brief. Okay, uh, say I bought a brace pistol in 2015, and I sold it in 2017 for cash in an in-state person-to-person transaction that did not involve a Form 4473. Yeah. What's my legal liability? There's no legal liability unless you knowingly, and I know the answer to this question, or you wouldn't be talking about it on the radio, unless you knowingly sold it to a felon or someone who can't legally possess firearms. No, but Uh, I didn't do a background check either. Well, but there's no background check check required for a private transaction uh, between individuals. Um, There are people in Congress and and even some Democrats in the Indiana General Assembly who have tried to change that every year. Um, But but there's no... You didn't do anything unlawful unless you knowingly transferred it to someone who's not uh, able to buy their own firearm from a dealer. Obviously, that didn't happen, um, so you don't have a problem with that. Now, whoever bought it you know, now needs to face a decision of what they're going to do with that braced firearm, and I went through those options earlier in the show. But, but Rich, thanks so much for, for calling, and thanks for your patience and, and, and waiting. I'll tell you what, we're, we're nearing the end of the show. only have a few seconds, but um, when we come back for our next show, and I believe we have a show next week, um, unless the IU basketball schedule changes, uh, I'm going to get in much more to what's going on in the Indiana legislature, because there are some bills there we've been fighting for that I'm optimistic about. Nothing uh, earth-shattering like constitutional carry, but some important bills. We'll get into that. But we thank you for joining us, and we hope you come back next week. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC.